How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. That was great. How are you, Mark? I'm doing well. Music to my ears. And that is the topic of our show tonight. Music again, huh? Yes, because there is so much of it and because it is all about community and we have such an incredible amount to say and we have an incredible guest with us tonight. Yes, very, very looking, very much looking forward to talking about I this. I am so looking forward to Professor Kathleen Howland is here. And let me just read a couple of things. This is amazing. Uh, trained in music therapy, speech, language, pathology, she teaches undergraduate and graduate courses at Berklee College of Music, the Boston Conservatory of Music Therapy, music education, and liberal arts. But this part, she is interested and lectures locally and internationally in the neurological foundations for music perception and performance, and here it is, and the power of music as a therapeutic intervention. That's really cool. I mean, so welcome. Come on on the show. Come on down. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be here. And we are delighted to have you. We're going to get right into this. But before we do that, I just wanted to give another shout out to Greg Brasso and Veterans Voice. They are, you know, such a powerful force for the people who have served our country and often given the ultimate sacrifice. And they are having a music festival, their own music festival. I just think it's wonderful. You know, the symmetry of this. How Music Festival and Expo, Sunday, August 11th, 2019, 10 to 4 at the Pageant Field, 1 Marymount Parkway in Quincy. If you are interested in the event, 781-985-1551, or you can email Greg Brasso at AOL.com. I just want people to know that's his personal email, so <laughs> this is how much he trusts everyone. Uh, Veterans Voice. Go there. It's going to be great. I think you can save the date. You can get, uh, you know, if you're interested in sponsoring a table, please, uh, let's uh, let's support that. Another another way of supporting our veterans who've done so much for us. Plus, it's music. And that leads us right back to you, Professor Holland. Here you are. Here I am. Welcome. In Welcome. My husband's hometown. Yeah, what do you think of that? Oh, wow. Do you know this coincidence? I didn't know that. Let's hear this coincidence. Go ahead. Um, the my father-in-law was George Harlow, and the airfield here was named after oh. him. And my husband and his four siblings grew up here. Wow! Isn't that I just just love that? Yeah, I love that small yeah. world stuff. The small it's community, world. right? It, and that is what we're talking about: is community. Community is such an interesting experience. We we are in communities all the time, and sometimes we don't even realize it. We are so immersed in it, we don't even recognize it anymore. We talked a few weeks ago about the smallest community of a dyad, you know, two people. And yet here we are, a community right now in our studio. We just saw another community, larger one, leave the studio. That was all the folks on Veterans Voice, for those who may have listened to it. And there are communities everywhere. 
you know, I, I will admit I am a Red Sox fan. That is part of my community. I go to a baseball game. I sit with thousands of people who are there sharing the same experience. And sometimes next to me, maybe a fan from the other team. And I know that they are there to root for their community. So we have these these safe places to root for communities where you have sports teams, you have music festivals. But if you think about what's going on in the world right now, there are other larger communities that are not so peaceful, that are not so cooperative. And this is part of why I really am trying to get people to think about the I am approach. The I am approach, the idea that everybody's doing the best they can, that we all want the same thing, which is to feel valued by someone else. And this is what binds us as human beings. So that is part of, of why I wanted to really spend a bit more time talking about music, because I think it really uh, exemplifies and gives us a wonderful example of how we can just share things in a community, even of complete strangers. So let, let me get back to you, Helen. How did you first start getting into music, music therapy? Where do you want to start? Uh, that's a tough one, and it's an easy one all at the same time. So growing up, my grandmother was a gorgeous piano player. And say in the middle of commercials for The Wizard of Oz, which only came on one time a year, she would magically play those songs back to me. Huh. Um, and she also would play music for my father, who could be a very intense, intense guy. And I could just watch the changes in his face as all the lines smoothed out and his jaw slacked and he would just go into such a peaceful sleep mm -hmm. um, so I grew up with that music I grew up with a lot of live music growing up I grew up with one of the best music educators in the country um, and somehow when the two words music therapy were first said to me in about 1980 I knew that's who I was but I had no idea what it was it was certainly not known at that time um, not known well um, it had been practiced since the 1950s professionally and had been intuited since the time of Pythagoras um, who spent an awful lot of time thinking about music the acoustic relationships amongst notes the mathematical relationships amongst notes and the way it could be used therapeutically and prescribed wow. certain music for wow. people at the time that far back oh it goes much further than that yeah okay let's go so talk about community um i I, I love anthropology. It's one of the most interesting things, and it's a field that's changing a lot now as more and more artifacts are found. But what intrigues me is 35 to 40,000 years ago, f uh, flutes were made out of bones of mammoth ivory or of birds. And this took a tremendous amount of ingenuity to create something that had never been created before, the trial and error to break a bone and have to start all over again. Um, and the flutes play in scales that are very familiar to us today um, and in a pentatonic scale. And there's this wonderful researcher who plays the Star Spangled Banner on a replica of one of these flutes. Mm. So in the caves, especially at night when 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 humans were the prey um, they were gathered around fires and if you 
were in a cave without the flute makers and you could hear the flute, certainly you would abandon ship and move on down to be in community with those and spend that time listening to flutes in case, which would have sound absolutely divine. Mm. So I find that to be fascinating. Um, and it's thought that music predates language. Absolutely. And it certainly does developmentally. Um, so children are musical before they're cognitive and linguistic. And then at the end of life, for people who have dementia, when they're no longer linguistically competent, they are still quite musical. Wow. it's interesting. It's remarkable. This is part of what, you know, we were also talking about was the... Um, the prosody of voices and how babies sort of respond to the melody and sound having no idea what the content is. Mm. And that's why, you know, last week, I think it was last week, we said, you know, you can, you can go up to a tiny baby and you can go, you are the ugliest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Spiritual yes, you, malpractice, yes, Dr. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe a little confusing, um, but but you still will get a lovely smile from that little Absolutely. kid. Absolutely, you know. And in fact, music tunes the brain, tunes the auditory perceptual systems from the thir third trimester in the womb forward, so that the child can learn language. Yes, and I have another personal story about that, which is with my firstborn, Sophie. Um, I had written a song and would sing it to Carol's belly every day, sometimes several times a day. And the, um, the, the chorus, actually one, one of the lines was, when you see me, baby, will it be a nice surprise? <laughs> will you smile and recognize your dad's voice, baby? And when she was born, she did. Mm -hmm. And she and I are still quite bonded. Mm -hmm quite bonded. In, in South Africa, women who are pregnant begin singing to their babies as soon as they learn they're pregnant as a way of developing relationship. Yeah. It's really something that we all should and could be doing, and I did for my Sophie. And do you have a Sophie, too? I have too? a Sophie as I, well. I, okay. These, the coincidences just get more and it's more It's just braiding and braiding all these ties. It is great. It is great. And, and I just want to remind folks about the I am, right? So remember... We're always doing the best we can. This is who I am, my current maximum potential. And we are influenced by four domains. Your home domain, the social domain, the biological domain of your brain and body, and the IC domain. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? And these four domains interact all the time, but I believe we respond to them the best we can. And what we actually were speaking about was the home domain. Because we're talking about mothers singing to their growing babies. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the interaction between a parent and their child, that very fundamental home domain. And you were talking about how influential your home domain was in just being exposed to music mm -hmm. and being turned on to it. And there's actually a huge literature on how music really does help kids. Uh, but what I want to get into now is, is the actual biological domain. So we're going to talk a bit about the biological domain, the psychology of music, what parts of the brain are activated, and I am handing it over to our expert right now. The baton is yours. <laughs> well, I, ha I can do this for days and days and days, um, but I will try to compress it. So 
there is uh, centers in the brain for processing vision. There are centers in the brain for language, um, for voluntary movement, for emotions, but there's no center in the brain for music. Hmm. It's diffusely activated throughout wow. in both sides. Um, and it is a very powerful and salient force for the brain to process um, and, and absolutely to produce. So in music therapy, we can have people passively listening to music or they could be doing that without music therapy, but it doesn't really engage much of the brain. But if we are in there and offering live music, you've got much more activation throughout the brain, which makes it possible to interfere with anxiety and pain um, signals because the brain can only process 100% of anything at a time. It's like trying to get through the Callahan Tunnel. One car is going to have to give way for the other hmm. in order to share that space. You can't have 100% of pain and 100% of music, they will end up being modulated um, accordingly to the power of that other stimulus. If you think about what the TV offers, say in a hospital setting, it's little to nothing. Mm -hmm. And really who wants to be watching Jerry Springer when you're ill? But mm -hmm. there isn't enough salience with those other elements, reading a book or watching TV or listening to the radio, especially when they're broken up by advertisements and when the uh, programming is on somebody else's agenda, not your well-being agenda. But when music comes in, and particularly when we get patients engaged in music making with us, then that's an even more powerful experience for the brain and, and can very much impact anxiety and pain, which are the two key uh, elements that we treat in the hospital settings or in medical settings yeah i was uh, chatting with with one of my colleagues the other day who was using music therapy for folks with severe and profound uh intellectual developmental challenges mm -hmm. and that's my tribe let's hear a bit about that then let's that's where i started right um uh it was at the time called a Department of Mental Retardation Institution um, up in uh, the North Shore, and it was called Hogan Regional Center. And I began work there on what was the infirmary at the time. So very medically fragile in addition to being intellectually disabled folks. And what I found in the studio was this ability to perceive music and to produce it, to have aesthetic joy, to have preferences for instruments, preferences for songs. Uh, and these people were nonverbal and mostly nonambulatory. And the changes that I saw within my studio were amazing because when we went back out on the, on the units, it, they just presented with their disabilities. But I got this window into ability and I couldn't quite figure out how um, I could accommodate that in this one body. And so I thought um, at the time that the brain must be the seat of all possibilities, but mm -hmm. neuroscience was really 20 years away from being what it is now with imaging technology and protocols for study. Um, and now actually it's almost too much to keep up with. Mm. Around the world there are labs that are working furiously on various issues like there were several labs set up by the country of France to study stroke. Finland is fantastic in studying strokes and dementia. Um, in Boston they're studying dyslexia. Uh, there's uh, That's a lab at Children's Hospital, another one looking at uh, strokes as well, and uh, autism. So now it has really caught up and one neuroscientist told me that understanding the brain 
in music will help them understand the brain better um, for all other attributes because it is so robust. And because it's so diffuse. So yes. you're really tapping into so many different brain areas. Yes. Even with just a concussion, a mild concussion, you can have um, changes to your attentional circuitry, executive functions, and your memory. Um, and those are all that fragile. But with music, it's rarely, if ever, disturbed. Even in people who are intellectually disabled, we have people in comas that are responding to music um, at Spalding Hospital and people in late-stage dementia. So it is clearly has some major real estate. That was for you, Mark. That was, that was for you, Mark. For me. That was totally, totally yeah. put out there for you. And, and I, I just want to say... Prime that real I, estate. I, I held back on talking about the fantastic work in Finland because it was really fantastic. Mm. So, um, so we are talking about a very powerful component of who we are as human beings that goes back long, 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 long ago. And, you know... Um, one of the other things that you said previously was was how we were prey. Human beings were prey mm -hmm. for much, much, much of our evolution. It's really only recently, you know, with the formation of these social groups, that we have been less than prey and much more the sort of predator and the aggressor in many ways. But here's this thing, this music, that... I mean, it's it's really quite remarkable that it is so diffuse in our brain. Because, you know, even though you know we have all these neuronal interconnections and we know that, but there are still, we think, certain parts of the brain that are more likely to be involved in speech, and certain mm -hmm. that are more likely to be involved in controlling your motor movement, and more likely, you know, involved for your your eyesight. And you're telling me. That music just sort of approaches all of these, goes over all of these? Yes, it does. They have, music has shared and distinct networks. Um, one of my favorite studies in from 1974 actually was injecting um, a sedative into a carotid artery. It's certainly nothing you'd want to sign in for. But they depressed the left hemisphere, and people couldn't speak, but they could sing. And then they would depress the right hemisphere, and people could talk, but they couldn't sing. And hmm. under no condition was rhythm ever disturbed, even though you were putting each hemisphere asleep sequentially. And this is done with epileptics prior to surgery so that they could understand which areas were dominant. So you can have that deep an injury. Um, I have a friend who uh, works at Spalding Hospital, was working with a comatose man very very agitated and he began to sing on one side and then he interrupted the phrase which is called an ex expectancy violation where you would say something elemento and people are compelled to finish with p he started a musical phrase and finished it and is uh, in an expectancy violation and the young man vocalized he and he also mm. turned his whole body toward the music and he had shown no responses before which is vastly different in whether he would receive any services or not if he was identified as vegetative he would not have qualified for any services but the ability to use music to get responses in the lowest neurological profiles has always impressed the daylights out of me. And if you can do that, why would you ever cut it out of a school system? Huh. And why do you bring that up? Mm. 
cutting it out of a school system. Well, I've always said, if I can prove to you the value of music in a premature baby, in somebody in a coma, somebody with dementia, then you would never cut it out of a school system. Um, and so much of that research is there. I happen to serve on a school committee in, in the community that I work in. Um, and actually, much to my surprise, um, they are cutting a position uh, at the middle school. It also is the final exam of all of my students. I read at least 60 a semester. They at Berkeley, they all have to write one-page letters to a school committee using science to defend the necessity of music education. And it is hmm. my scientific opinion with pages and pages of um, bibliography that music should be the core curriculum because of how it teaches executive functions, social connections. Can you just explain to people what executive function is? For sure. That's really what makes us so beautifully human. Mm -hmm. That is the highest and most evolved aspect of us. And I think the ancient flutes might have been the first demarcation of executive functions. It's all about reasoning, having insights, um, being able to problem solve, the trial and error that we saw, your attention span. Absolutely. And that's why executive dysfunction is often now the term for ADHD. But that's really the best part of us. And I always tell my students who are undergrads, um, look forward to getting these because your life will get so much easier when these finish wiring at 25 to 28 or so right. for women and then men. Um, and that's a beautiful way to lead your life with those uh, advanced skill sets on board. And part of it also is being able to anticipate the future and yes. the consequence of whatever the problem is that you're solving and executing that plan. And folks, you know, that's that's really prefrontal. Prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. is where a lot of this stuff is living. And that is part of why we're talking about music and community because we have this brain that is on the cusp of this evolutionary leap where we can shift from this primitive, driven, emotional, irrational brain to this prefrontal cortex, this mm -hmm. thinking brain. We always will need our limbic system because mm -hmm. you know, we need that because that is part of how we have survived. And it is incredibly useful. But that doesn't mean we always have to act on it because the limbic system isn't thinking about what will happen next if I'm impulsively doing this. And that's why I am is trying to get that message out that when we begin to look again at why people do what they do without judging them, and we begin to really wonder why they're doing what they're doing, we can look again, as I say, again look, again to repeat something, look like a spectator. So yeah. we get to respect why people do what they do. And when's the last time you got angry at someone treating you with respect? <laughs> right? right? You don't. And anger, remember, is limbic. Yep. But respect is a behavior. So anger is an emotion designed to change a behavior. We get angry when we want somebody to do something different. Start doing something or stop doing something. But being respected feels great. Yeah. So we don't get angry. So anger is, a is, a, is an emotion designed to change a behavior, but respect is a behavior that can change an emotion. 
And social affiliation is one of the best stress busters of limbic functioning. Yeah. Yes. But you got to tell people what social affiliation means. Uh, community. <laughs> yeah. You know, loving one another, one love. That's Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You had mentioned before that not only should it be part of the curriculum, but that it should be the core curriculum. How, how do you see that playing out? Um, it should be central to scheduling. It should not be pullouts where your child is taken out of math and science because Got people it. are so fearful about their kid not getting into a good college that parents will take their children out of music. It needs to be understood and respected for all of the great gains that it has um, available through it. Um, so, um, and this is the pre-K through 12 outlook. And um, say in the middle school with this cut, the middle school, of course, is a very difficult time in the development of boys and girls. Absolutely. And the the band room and the band teachers are the only teachers they have across those two or three years, however that school is structured. Hmm. It's the only place where the popular kids are, the the geeks are, the all of the different names for cliques. They are all engaged in one activity that activity is so marvelous for the brain that just for example if you stopped playing music when you left high school but picked it up again when you were uh, aging you would be able to be engaged in the two activities that are key for aging well which is social affiliation community and cognitive stimulation another point is if you never picked up the instrument again you will hear better as you age than somebody with an equal hearing loss because your brain has been tuned to the frequencies of sound and those are very useful when your hearing is deteriorating your brain is still able to compensate for it because of the training you received decades ago so what happens in childhood has these long-lasting benefits and here's one for all those who might remember glenn campbell the artist from the 70s and 80s he um had his last album produced and then was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and Glenn had been symptomatic for 10 years I met with him and his I met with his family and many researchers and Francis Collins in Boston and at the time they decided that he would still go out on tour because he was contracted to do that he was in mid-stage Alzheimer's symptomatic for 10 years went on tour for 151 shows over a year wow. wow and when he was on stage he was playing old songs playing new songs he was uh, playing different guitars he was improvising he was singing when he was off stage he was wandering he was um, sensory defensive he wouldn't get into showers he didn't know the names of the artists of the band on stage and they were his children wow. as a performer he was still Glenn Campbell, he still delivered a good show. There were baubles. He'd repeat a song or he'd get kind of lost. If the teleprompter went down, he couldn't remember the um, any of the words, even for his old songs. But when that teleprompter was giving him the lyrics, he was doing all of it. And he did it really well. And there's a film called I'll Be Me, which is about this tour of Glenn. And you can see how incredibly competent and able he was on stage and how very disabled he was off stage. So why do you think <clears throat> schools, and I don't want to speak for all of them, but why is a school more willing to cut music 
than football. It started with the Sputnik um, rockets from the Soviet Union in the late 50s. Um, when they ha- shot that first rocket into space and the U.S. felt like they were behind, and they were, then there were tremendous cuts that happened throughout school systems and everything got math and science-centric. Hmm. Now part of that is the pressure not to make a good citizen of the world. A person who is responsible has good executive functions who can think their way through problems no matter what they are now school children are under tremendous pressure to get into a good college to get grades they as a professor they're less interested in knowing things with curiosity and passion i'm told in the last three years that this generation of students don't read books won't read books i find that absolutely shocking we've killed Um, people's natural curiosity to know and to learn Um, and so they are so overburdened with facts and if I can call up Siri and ask what um, a formula is for an algebraic expression what I need to know is to to the thinking skills the cognitive processing to make good use of it Mm -hmm. we need not be teaching content as much as we need to be teaching thinking skills by which all problems and all things can be learned but the thing that really concerns me most is the lack of curiosity and passion and we do see that in the band room as they continue to um, explore and push the envelope and if you've ever heard um a high school band, um, they can be extremely, extremely good um, musicians, far more than they are uh, students in math or students in physics. Their their advanced skills are just tremendous. And my husband's one of the best teachers I know of. And every year his students do marvelous things at Newton South, but this happens in all the high schools that allow this to flourish. And the Uh, the continuity of having a teacher over those years that accompanies your development versus you have a 7th grade math teacher, an 8th grade math teacher, and there's no duplication. There's no community Mm -hmm. in those type of teaching relationships. But in the music room, there's inclusion of all people, um, boys and girls, many sports, of course are centric to one gender or another recently in our community there was a 395 student bandorama Hmm. and i don't know of anything else that brings together those vast numbers of children producing great music and having fun well that's why i find it amazing that these schools are cutting it thinking okay everybody needs to get into college they need to take more ap classes and they need to be over scheduled and they need this and that but the colleges are saying we want well balanced individuals and when you take music out you take out a massive part of that balance right what i see too is that the anxiety and depression in this generation either self-diagnosed or uh, professionally diagnosed is just sky high um, and of course, we know the suicide rates of students has been very high. And even though many colleges do not report any suicides, the risk of suicides is still very high. We should not feel complacent about the fact that they haven't done it. There are tremendous burdens on these students these days. And music is a great refuge for comfort 
ubiquitously we all use music for comfort and motivation um, and for joy. And this is something that's being taken from them. Hmm. How about karaoke for therapy? Yay! (laughs) Has that been studied yet? Other than on the Dr. Joe show? There, there are actually very few studies on karaoke at this point. We should, we should certainly um, put in a, a bid for one. I can say people who have strokes who can't talk yeah. um, can probably do karaoke. Yeah. And in fact, really? that's, yes, that's one of the very known features of, of certain types of strokes is people can't talk, but they can sing. Um, right. And we can use that singing to How leverage... Uh, rebuilding of the circuitry for speech again. Right. These are the aphasia studies that show that exactly that. They may not be able to speak, but they can sing. It's Isn't amazing. Remarkable? Yeah. Yeah. And the other part, you know, to, sticking with the social domain for a little bit, um, that children uh, are more likely to associate with other kids who know the same songs. Mm. Right? I mean, again, this this social affiliation, this Mm -hmm. idea of sharing, this community. Well, what's fascinating about music is going back to the beginning of time and beginning of music that every community, every culture finds music. Yes. Without each other, they're finding it on their own Mm -hmm. innately. Yes. And, for example, lullabies are found in every culture. And that's an important way to emotionally regulate your baby. And when you're able to do that and comfort a baby, then they don't use so many calories crying and being in distress, which was very, very important for survival. Right, because if you're burning up calories, you may not be able to replenish them with food because you may not have it. You know, we talk about the definition of success in the I am of, you know, loving going to work and loving going Mm -hmm. home. But for some people, success is just being able to have a meal one day or just being for us you know not so many years ago millions of years ago success was just being able to wake up right and not have been prey Uh, and then we have this social group and that's what really you know the social group was what absolutely catapulted uh, who we are as human beings. Our brains grew with the social demands, yep. just like baboons yep. have large brains to navigate the the intense interactions amongst their troops. That's right. And for that, you really need to be able to understand what somebody else is thinking or feeling, which in the I am is the IC domain. You know, in, in, in science, neuroscience, in medicine, there's this thing, the biopsychosocial model, which was a way to explain disease, right? We are diseased and broken because something's happened in the biological or psychosocial domains. But the guy who developed it, this guy Engel, never knew about theory of mind, the ability to appreciate somebody else's point of view. And that's what the IM does. The IM extends that whole biopsychosocial model by adding in the IC domain, which is theory of mind. Mm-hmm. So you have your home, social domain, the biological, and the IC domain. And that's the part that I really want to be able to talk about as well. We've spoken a little bit about the home domain mm-hmm. and how important it is for, for for parents to be able to modulate the emotion of their child as they grow older by singing lullabies, by sharing these things, by helping a child begin to have that internal regulation. We've spoken a bit about the social domain already, about how music, you know, just 
absolutely can bring groups of people together. We spoke also about the early instruments. You know, the early instrument shows that somebody was thinking, what will happen next if I build this now? How do I do this? How do I plan this out? Execute that plan, and then here's the result, this beautiful music. And so when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the IC domain, and I want to remind folks that there are two rules with the, with the IM. The first is, because everyone has an IM, and you're a part of someone's home or social domain, and they're interested in what you think about them, and that changes the effect on their biological domain, because you know it feels differently when you feel respected or not. This means you control no one, but you influence everyone. Hmm. Think about that. You control no one, you influence everyone, you get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. But then the next rule, because the four domains interconnect, a small change in any one domain can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. And that's part of what I hope you can offer our, our audience uh, as we come into the last part of the show. Maybe give them a small change that can have a big effect. So here we are. We're talking about music, music therapy. How can you use music therapy to help someone shift their own internal perception of themselves? We can do that, right? We can, how in we terms of down? how you look at yourself or your characteristics, um, we can do that through songwriting beautifully. So say you have a teenager that's been traumatized, um, and um, they, we could help them through songwriting to really create a vision for their life. And through the repetition of singing, almost like a mantra, they can start to create a vision and then live toward that. And that will start to shift their physiology accordingly. Um, I think that we can use music to self-regulate ourselves um, throughout the day. Um, iTunes allows us to make all kinds of playlists, which is great. Typically, we do them by genre, or um, I have one for dancing, you know, I have one for singing. But if we did it for um, specific purposes, like um, for comfort, for motivation. If we did it for affective states, we could help transition our affective states. So I am, as an example, a perpetually unhappy morning person. <laughs> I am not a morning person. I'm almost 60 years old. I'm clearly never going to be a morning person. And I have to catch the train at 630 in the morning. Uh during the school year. So I have a playlist that starts when I get off the train by Fenway, and it starts off really rather slowly, and then it starts to speed up. And then I have this lovely lilting music in the back. So when I show up at my job, I'm an hour early, and I'm already in a delightful mood. Hmm. I'm already able and open to being loving and and um, supportive to my students who I often meet before 9 a.m. classes. And then by the time I get to class at 9 a.m., I am in good shape. And then actually I spend the last 20 minutes before class starts uh, watching funny videos. Um, and that's part of my practice too because laughter also does that. Mm. Yes. But we have many beautiful gifts and positive psychology shows us how we can use them to change our affective state, to change the way we operate. So I no longer really have to claim to be um, grumpy in the morning because nobody sees it. Um, and I modify it so that nobody does have to see right. it. 
But even if you are grumpy, mm. that's an I am. It's okay. <laughs> oh, I am we grumpy. Just have to, we just have to figure out why. And, and, and you've shown that, you know, you make a small change mm -hmm. in the domains. You, you create a playlist that, that helps you calm, relax, become enthusiastic. It's amazing that we can do this for ourselves. And I think, you know, everybody out there, you probably have some songs that resonate with you mm -hmm. uh, that, that maybe make you feel sad or maybe make you feel happy. You can use those songs just to, you know, to continue to access these emotions. There's nothing wrong with an emotion. It's just what you do with it that's going to be important. And to think about your preferred music, um, there is something called a music living will. What music do you want to have played if you can't speak for yourself? Mm. If you were had an opportunity to be rehabilitated or intervened with so that you can come back into the mainstream of your life, what would that playlist be? And if you don't have the potentiality, what is the playlist that you want to accompany the last hours and days of your life? A music living will can ensure that your preferences would indeed be met. And people have very specific preferences. My music would be Pavarotti and Bob Marley, frankly. <laughs> That's quite um, a mix. <laughs> and it would include the music of my husband, but not the stuff he recorded with his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> I mean, we're talking specific. Um, so what is it? What music do you want to accompany your life even when you can't speak for yourself? That's interesting. I haven't heard of a music living well. No. I mean, I've heard of people saying, this is the playlist I want at my funeral. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this is different. And I've Very. helped hospice patients make the playlist for their funeral or record it themselves. So how how do you use music with, with hospice folks, people who are ready, ready, maybe not ready, but certainly about to, to, to die? Um, well, it can happen in... Sometimes we have longer amounts of time with them, but I'll give you an example of a family I'll never forget. Um... And I called the house that morning, and the phone rang many, many times, and a woman stridently, shriekingly answered the phone, and I said who I was and that the nurse had recommended music therapy. She says, well, I don't think it's a good day for music. It's, it's I think he's going to die. I think it's today, and uh, I can still hear her. Um, and so I said, actually, I think it would be a lovely day for music. And she paused, and then she said, well, what will you do when if you come? I said, I'd fill the empty void with music and love. Mm -hmm. So she invited me over, and when I arrived, um, it was wintertime. I had my coat on and my guitar on my back, and there he was in a hospital bed, and it was a ghastly sight. He was actually vomiting blood from his lungs. Mm -hmm. um, and what? A, and he was gasping, and she was all alone. I started to meet his the rhythm of his breathing and he looked at me and locked eyes and then I started to slow down and he started to follow me mm -hmm. and then she was helping to clean him up and he was starting to breathe more easily which allowed this whole eruption to slow down and then I took his hands gently in mine and very very quietly saying you'll never walk alone mm -hmm. And he went to sleep, which oh. is a beautiful thing in hospice. And then oh, with, yeah, his, huh. with his wife, I said, please show me pictures 
of your life together. Show me pictures of him so that I can know him as you did. She told me stories about how he played guitar, and then she said, oh, he loved Glenn Campbell. And I said, I just learned this beautiful song that Glenn had sung uh, on his last album, and I played that for her, um, which was the first time I got the guitar and the my coat off my back. I was so hot. But the immediacy of music is right, right, right there. And um, his distress was absolutely broken through. And by singing very quietly, all his attention had to go to me and not to his fears and the anxiety. And it allowed him to go to sleep. And she kept saying, I can't believe he went to sleep. That's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Oh, how lovely for him. And then she said, I will have music when the children come and music will greet them. I'm so sorry I had forgotten it. Thank you for bringing it. Mm. I was in the house for 40 minutes and the music did all the work. It was lovely. And you're getting cheery just I, talking about it. I'll, I, I'll never forget it them. Is, it is powerful. And that's what we can do for each other, folks. Mm-hmm. We can calm people. We can care for people. We can make them feel like people. Instead of feeling like aliens. Right. It's so important. And music is such such a wonderful, universal way of doing it. And that's why we're spending time talking about this, folks, because it's right here. It's right here. It's part of us. It's not only one part of our brain, it's diffused throughout our brain. So why can't we use this all the time just to help each other? I consider it an inherited human right, a gift of our evolutionary process that could be expunged if we continue not to support music education. Yeah, wouldn't that be horrible? I mean, because we know how much music can do. We know, like this, it can can ease someone's suffering. It can ease someone's anxiety. It can ease someone's sadness. It can ease someone's anger. My goodness, what's the message here? What's the pattern here? Every one of these powerful human emotions can be modulated with music. You know, we could just say I am is I'm music, <laughs> you know, but really we are music. This is one of the things that, that I want people to remember. If we don't listen to each other, we're going to miss each other's music. Yeah. You know, Kathleen, I want to thank you so much being with us here tonight and sharing so much information. So the small change people can make is get a song you love. Listen to it. Make playlists. Let them change your mood. Let them lift you up and support you. Talk to your school boards. Yes. Talk to your school boards. (laughs) All right, folks. Ben, Amy, thanks so much. And we'll be back next week. We're just going to continue talking about community and music and all sorts of things that bring us together. Looking forward to it. Bye. Thank you. Did he do it for love? Did he do it for fear? Who knows? Then go. Dear Romeo, drank from the vial.
Did she do it for love or was she tired of the thrill? Who 